co-host and producer, Hannah Hogan. Hey, guys. Now, Hannah, this time, has put together a list of topics for us. Now, she did it about the same way I do it, which is about, you know, five or ten minutes before we do the podcast, we go, what are some things we could talk about? And it's pretty easy because, you know, the podcast is not, never was designed to be some kind of uh, news pod- report right where we hammer the hard topics we just uh talk about stuff originally the idea if you've been a long-term listener or if you've gone back and listened to the episodes the original idea was hannah was on the road doing comedy i was on the road doing comedy and we weren't always doing the same gigs so we would come in you know kind of on monday and film a podcast where we talked about what she did over the weekend and what I did over the weekend, and then where were we go, where we were going next. So that's where the whole where we've been, where we're going uh, idea popped in. And I saw someone comment on it was one of the Nateland podcast videos, but they said, "Unless you have a story, don't tell us where you've been." And well, I disagree with that logic because. You don't want to hear about where we've been if it wasn't your town. But if it was your town, you want to hear me or, or, or Nate or Hannah or Aaron or Brian go, I was just in this town and I had a really great time there. The shows are really fun and I appreciate everyone. You want to hear that. Now, if there's a story, obviously it's better. But I like to be in contact with my, my fans, uh, you know, because the idea being, say I'm in, actually the idea came to me, I think, in Springfield, Missouri, that say I'm in Springfield and I go there once a year and uh, I only see these people once a year at my shows. Well, a whole year goes by, maybe they forget about me. Maybe they're, you know, and it's hard to keep putting out stand-up clips so I was like, let's do a podcast every week. That way people can still be in touch with us, know who we are, get to know us. So that was the idea. Yeah, that guy needs to sit down. That guy does need to sit down. Matter of fact, most people commenting, if it's any kind of negative thing or you think you're giving advice, just sit down. Because even if your advice is good, chances are you come off in a condescending tone, even if you don't mean it that way. And I'm not looking for advice from people that aren't doing what I'm doing. When, if people aren't in my field, you don't know what I'm going through. So you're not, your advice is not good. If your advice is work harder, I've covered this last week. Oh, this is something I wanted to talk about. I don't think I talked about it last week. But I wanted to address it. Because I did um, shows at a bunch of the comedy zones that I, that I came back to. I did uh, Greensboro, Greenville, Jacksonville. And then I did this spiel on the podcast about what those comedy zones meant to me and how they made my career at one point when I was thinking about. Now, 
I'm just going to, when I was thinking about going back to the pesticide job and I ended up not going back to the pesticide job because getting these comedy zone gigs. And then the next week, I, uh, maybe two weeks later, I do uh, a bunch of sold out shows in Columbus, Ohio at the Funny Bone. And then I do basically the exact same spiel, uh, about how the funny bones kept me from going back and selling <laughs> pesticides. And I realized this happened because I was watching a clip that Hannah had edited out for me to post on YouTube, which I've not done yet. But I was watching the clip and I go, oh, did Hannah already edit the podcast that we just did? And then I realized, no, she didn't. Uh, I just almost completely repeated myself. So, <clears throat> so I just want to clarify. I mean, I get a little sentimental about that journey because 2015 was the year that really solidified that I was going to be a full-time comic. 2014 is when I quit my job, but 2015, I was going to return to that job if there were no gigs, if there were not enough to keep me going. So my friend Chris Killian brought me on a bunch of Comedy Zone gigs, and then on the way to do one of those Comedy Zone gigs, I got to audition for Dave Stroop in Columbus, Ohio for the Funny Bones. So it is a combination of those two things that helped me uh, become a full-time comic. And I just want to address that if you're a listener of the podcast and you're listening, you're like, uh, it feels like the exact same story. It is. Um <laughs> But they were both a huge help. Now, the difference is featuring at the Funny Bones actually paid a little bit of money. It was actually pretty good money to feature there. The Comedy Zones were never good pay. You may stumble upon a Comedy Zone that was, <clears throat> I just ate some toast with a lot of grains in it, and I got stuff stuck in my throat. But uh, the Comedy Zones never paid well. Now, I just did a bunch of those where I headlined and my agent had worked out a great deal and I did very well and I feel good about it. But the, the, the money that I went into a comedy zone the first time and then the money that I made coming out of the comedy zone last time is vastly different, shockingly different for really not that much more time. Now I'm a much better comic, but. Well, I think you can, I think it's shocking the difference in pay between feature and headliner. Right. And it's also shocking uh, in, in pay when you're not selling tickets to versus when you are selling yeah. tickets. Mm -hmm. So there is quite a long paying dues process that goes into comedy that most people won't understand. So um, why do you think that when you are telling this story in your head, you, you get tunnel vision like it was all Comedy Zone? And then two weeks later, like it was all Funny Bone. Do you think... It's just easy to forget that there's a lot of moving parts when you're talking about something like this. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's like, you know. Um, because if you think about it, you know, Zany's really embraced you here in town. And that's a, that's also a, a big part of, you know, your continued s success. But also, you know, just having a home club that believed in you and, and, and you know, showcased you so often. Well, that's absolutely true. And I think you're right. It is easy to not even forget, but just not think about. Mm -hmm. I mean, Zanies continues to help me. 
the people that run and own Zanies and the people that work at Zanies, I mean, are continuing to shape my career mm-hmm. uh, in such ways. I mean, Lucy at Zanies, uh, as you know, uh, helped get me and you both gigs for a long time. She, had, We had a whole kind of management agent thing worked out for a while where Lucy was getting us gigs. Yeah. And and it was, um, that was 2016, I believe. But yeah, there's so many working parts to get where you're going. I just think that one, the one thing with the comedy zones and the funny bones is that that was, I was really very close to going back to Spectracide for another season. Now, maybe I would have gone back for another season and then after that, gone full time, you know. But the fact that I didn't have to return to it was really great. And I hope to never have to return to it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But uh, but I would do it, and I would be much better at it. Sometimes I do think about it and how I would do things differently, how I'd have a real game plan. But you know what? Sometimes I think where you're at in life can give you confidence. So if I were to go back to the pesticide job and get shot down by a couple of store managers, maybe I'd lose my confidence pretty quick and be right back where I was at, you know? Whereas, you know, where I'm at right now, I feel like I could stroll into there, set up a meeting, get some plans laid out, figure out how to do it. But the problem never was me. The problem was always the company. Yeah, absolutely. You being a raging alcoholic while working there. I mean, there's no way that affected your work ethic at all and your attitude in general. Uh, I'm sure you were really easy to manage. Listen, it played a role, I'm sure. But <laughs> sure. Sure, if I were not hung over every day, yeah, I might have been a better employee, but I was getting it done. Uh-huh. I was really getting it done. You know, and um, so it feels good. So this is what we wanted. That's not, that was a kind of an impromptu thing. This is what we actually want to talk about. We had Thanksgiving here. We hosted a little Thanksgiving in our house. Now, last year, we wanted to host a Thanksgiving. I don't know if I've talked about this already. I guess I did. We wanted to host everyone, and then everybody was like, we're sick. So this time we had my dad, my stepmom. Uh, my dad and stepmom have been married for about 25 years now. They met in Panama City Beach at the Fontaine Blue Hotel when I was 15, 14 or 15. Uh, maybe 14, then they got married at 15. I was there with my friend Adam Edge who I still see sometimes in LaFette, and uh, uh, my dad's friend, Kevin, um, I can't think of Kevin's last name, doesn't matter. We were all down in Panama City. First time I ever smelled weed at the Fontaine Blue. Scary smell, really. And I was there, and um, I remember my dad meeting my stepmom in the lobby. It was her, She was there with a friend, and... They, so, you know, my dad's 75, so what would he have been, 50? Yeah, so just turned 75. So we were down there, he's probably 49. And we, Panama City, we're checking in the hotel. My stepmom and, and, and her friend are checking in in front of us. And however it goes, my dad determined that their room was right next to ours. And he said to them, he goes, now, we're going to be staying right next to you, so don't be making a lot of loud noise, you know. 
and in a joking, fun uh-huh. way. So later that day, those women came and knocked on the door and wanted to see if my dad and Kevin wanted to, Kevin Hayes wanted to see if they wanted to go for a walk. Oh, okay. So they went out for a walk. And then me and Adam, Adam's probably 15, I was 14. We're just out roaming around. You know, we're out doing our thing on the beach. And then we come back around dusk. And we opened the door, and everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I don't know what was going on in there, but they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So me and Adam thought, well, we just couldn't come back. Like, we didn't think we were kicked out of the so room. So wait, your dad and Martha were in a hotel room together? In, in our room. We, oh, the four of us were staying in a room together. Uh-huh. And then my dad and then Martha and her friend had another room. Uh-huh. But we went to get in our room, and they uh-huh. were like, whoa, whoa. And I think it was all four of them in the room. Oh, okay. So I don't know what was going on in there. Uh-huh. Maybe just some make-out sessions. I don't know what was what? happening. I don't know. I can't speculate. But they acted like they didn't want us to come in right now because uh-huh. we were kids. Uh-huh. So instead of just hanging around for a minute and then trying to get in, we just thought, well, all right, we'll just go walk around. So we just kept walking around the Fontaine Blue for a long time. It was getting night, starting to get cold. <laughs> and then we went back, and they were like, where you guys been? We've been looking for you. And we were like, oh, we thought we couldn't come in. And and then my dad took us to Shipwreck Island. With went, the women? No, no. Just me and Adam. Dropped me and Adam off at Shipwreck Island. Shipwreck Island, which was, when I was a little kid, that was a water park in Panama City. When I was a little kid, Shipwreck Island was as exciting as I got. I mean, water slides, lazy river. They had a, uh, a wrecked ship they could go up in and then you hold on to a little uh, handlebar type thing and they kind of roll you out over the water and then you just drop. Heck yeah. But at 14 and 15, we had a good time, but we got bored pretty quick. And then we start walking around. And I was just getting to an age where I was starting to get a little weird right? You know, I was coming into myself. I was starting to, you know, I think at 15, no, 14, we might have still been living in the trailer, but we might have just moved into the house my mom lives in now. So I was starting to get a little weird, you know, I was starting to, you know, I was becoming a... a, a Individuation. Know. Yeah. And, and just um, kind of trying to find myself. I know Adam was into heavy metal, I know. He, I remember him having a magazine with Marilyn Manson in it, and we were reading a bunch of stuff about it. I never was into Marilyn Manson, but I did get into Rob Zombie and Slipknot and Corn and that kind of stuff. Marilyn Manson always seemed a bit too far for me. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, so I remember we left um, Shipwreck Island. Shipwreck Island, and we were walking around, and we wanted to go into this fortune tellers. Um, thing dusty slide i know we wanted to check it out see what was going on in there so we were about to walk in when my dad goes hey what what are you guys doing and i guess he went to shipwreck island we weren't there so he drove around looking for us and he found us about the time we were by he's like don't go in there come on maybe if he wasn't chasing women he'd know where his son's at (laughs) oh that's true too that is true too (laughs) and then um well that's true for a lot of things i got another thing there um (laughs) I might have talked about this before, but anyway, so we Purple Haze was a big store back then. This was back before any weed was legal anywhere, but they would have these Purple Haze was like stores where you had, uh, 
you know, a lot of tie-dyed shirts and musician shirts. And they had the little hemp necklaces with a little kind of plastic mushroom. Yeah. I think my dad bought me one of those. And then he bought me a tie-dyed skull T-shirt, which I would wear um, all the way till my senior year of high school. I would, I would wear it through high school. That's cool. I had a skull T-shirt with a tie- No, 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 no. He bought me a black skull T-shirt with two skulls on it. And then later I would get the tie-dyed one. So I had two skull shirts that I would wear. But I never was very gothy. I somehow could wear the skull shirts but remain not gothy. A little ironic, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I was always very happy. So the skull shirts didn't necessarily make sense. But I did always wear them. But I was just getting into this idea of, of being weird. Uh, there's a, a picture that hangs on my dad's wall right now. It's a picture of me, my dad, Kevin, and Adam, and I'm wearing the skull shirt, and it's a picture of us down in Panama City. All right, so then, so what happened with him and Martha? This is how they met, and then they later married. That's how they met, and Martha was from Alabama, mm-hmm. so they would uh, begin to uh, date a little bit, and I believe by the end of that year, um, they got married. Oh, wow, so they dated for less than a year? I, I would say so. Yeah, I mean, you know, my dad, he's been married four times. I mean, he likes to be married. He, just, he does uh, like to be married. And so, this is probably his longest marriage then, for sure, right? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly how long the first one lasts. I think I think his shortest marriage was to my mom. Okay, right on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> okay. The, the one marriage that my parents really needed to hold together was the quickest one. Yeah. Like, we can't do it. Yeah. But to be honest, I can't see my mom and my dad being married to each other. Certainly not. And you admit, yeah, you admit you can't see that too. Lovely, lovely people, but just about, just about as different as you could be. Yeah. Very independent people, both of them. Yeah. Um, But my, um, so another story, one time when I was a little kid, I remember this. I remember I had eaten some pennies when I was a little kid and I remember I was out with my dad and I think. My cousin Ted, who's my dad's cousin, um, I pooped my pants out there. I was a little kid. And I got sick because I'd eat those pennies. <laughs> and my dad had to dig through my poop to find the pennies to make sure that, uh, you know, that the, you know, that, that I did pass the pennies. He said they were very shiny. And uh, so what happened was my dad had me... Uh, he had me growing up every other weekend. So I would, you know, I'd spend, I'd go to school and be at my mom's house and then spend one weekend with my mom and then go to school. And then that weekend I'd go to my dad's house. So two out of 14 days, I would be at my dad's house. Four out of 30 days, I would be at my dad's house. Four out of 28 days, I'd be at my dad's house, okay? Uh, So apparently what happened was my dad had a date to go on so while I was visiting, so he, he left me with a friend. And while I was at that friend's house, I ate some pennies. <laughs> so I'm like, out of 28 days, you've got 24 of them to do all the dating you want to do. And on one of the four days I'm visiting, you got to go on a date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then I ate some pennies, and my dad had to dig through that poop. And I feel like that my dad deserved to dig through the poop for going on a date while I was visiting. Mm-hmm. 
damn joint custody here and he's going off on a date. Yeah. But we had a great time. My dad was up. So my dad, Martha, and then my dad and Martha, Martha's a, a bit younger than my dad. I don't know exactly how old Martha is, but I she's a. She's, she, I think she was 35 when she had Brooke. So she's probably about 15 years younger than him. All right. So she probably, what would that make her? 60? Mm-hmm. Dang. Martha does not look 60. No, but. She, yeah. So um, they have a daughter who's my sister, uh, but we have the, you know, same mom, same dad, different mom. And she is about 21 now. So she came up. She's 22. Okay, 22. She came up with her boyfriend, um, who, who, and then while they were here, uh, got engaged. They're supposed to go downtown and do it. And then they just did it here at the house. So Right I, here in this studio, probably. Yeah, yeah. This is the room they were staying yeah, in. Yeah, this is where they slept. So we probably had an engagement in this room. Yeah, I'm honored. Yeah. Holy matrimony was taking place in here. Hopefully not. What's but, holy matrimony mean? Well, Does I don't know. Uh, no, but I, I meant it for sex that time. Yeah, I hope they were not banging in here. No, I don't think so. We did have a... They were on air mattresses. I just don't think. Yeah, we had a pretty cheap air mattress. I was going to buy Bed Bath & Beyond, I'm told, has the best air mattresses. And I slept on one when I sold my bed way back, when I threw my bed in the trash way back. I um, slept on an air mattress for two or three months. And it cost 300 bucks, and I bought it at Bed Bath & Beyond. So that's what I was going to buy, 300 bucks. And we walked by one at Walmart for $44. And I was like, let's go ahead and just get that. Mm-hmm. And it worked out great. Yeah, I mean, you got to sleep on an air mattress. You got to sleep on a mattress on the ground for a little while. If you've not done that in your life, you've been spoiled and truly blessed. That's true. And you should be grateful. If you have done it, I see you. And, you know, mostly I didn't have to do it. I mean, when I moved out of my mom's house, I moved into a trailer. And my family always has some hand-me-down stuff ready to give away. Yeah, they do. So, you know, I had a, I was able to get furnished with a bed and an old mattress. And I got a joke that I do about the old mattress, but it was an old mattress that my sister and brother-in-law had. They had it in a trailer where they smoked a lot of cigarettes and it had been through some things. And I got it and I kept it for another 10 years. Mm-hmm. I peed in that bed. I threw up on that bed. I was an alcoholic. I, this is not, this is not normal behavior. This is stuff when people are drinking. Um, but it happened. Pee gets wild when you're drinking. I got a lot of wild pee stories that I've tried to tell before on stage, but people get very uncomfortable about pee stories. Well, I don't know how common it is even as a drinker to have that kind of incontinence. I mean, because, you know, I drank a bit in my 20s, but I don't think I ever peed the bed. Yeah, but you said you drank a bit. I mean, I got drunk a lot. You know, like I don't, I definitely wasn't drinking like you, but I partied. Well, I partied exactly, throughout my 20s. Well, that's exactly right. Is, um, you did party. You probably por- partied like a normal person. Yeah. And I partied like, um, you a know, maniac. Like it was 1999 every year. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, you partied to blackout. I didn't every party, time. I didn't party to blackout. But I, I tended to get there. Yeah. My goal was not to black out, but I was, you know, I had, I had a mission in mind to drink until I could not drink anymore. Yeah. I mean, I was, the, the feeling that alcohol gives you is so great that it's like, once you catch a little bit of buzz from alcohol, I'm like, I don't want to lose this. 
<laughs> Jeez. Exactly. It's exactly right, though. I'm like, I don't want to let this slip away. <laughs> yeah. So we got to keep going. You can't. You can't. You know. I and, and you know even t- now with food and drinks. I mean, I believe this is leading to my own digestion problems now. Is that you know when I'm uh, eating, I mean, we eat fast. I've had to really focus on slowing down my eating. I've had to really focus on slowing down a lot of things, but drinking, I mean, I get a beer, it's gone. I never was good at chugging, but like I'm drinking a lot faster. You than- drink liquids in general very fast. Like yeah. our whole relationship, I, I, I don't think I ever go through a whole soda or a whole water at, at a restaurant and you're already getting the third or fourth refill by the time we leave. Right. Yeah. I love drinking. I mean, anything. I love to drink. I love the way it tastes. All love right, the feel so, of liquids going so down we the we had we had them here. We had them here. We had a, a Hannah cooked a turkey. It was really great. I mean, and I'm not saying that just because she's sitting here. Last year she cooked a turkey and it was good, but a year later she did it again. I refined it, it and it was really great. Um, and then uh, Martha cooked a dressing. I thought Martha was doing my aunt Kat's dressing. It was very similar and was a very good dressing. Um, but I think I heard Martha say that she was not doing Aunt Cat's dressing. So um, I wish I had not heard it. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> had I not heard her say it, I wouldn't probably wouldn't even know. But now that I've heard, I'm, I have some questions. Um, we had a banana pudding, which was great. We had um, Hannah made cranberries. We didn't do cranberry sauce out of a can. Cornbread. Han- Hannah, made real, Hannah made real cranberries. Which nobody wants. But they, they seem to eat it. No American... I've yet to meet an American that that eats homemade well, cranberry sauce. Everybody's eating it out of the dang can. Right, right. But you say no one wants. It's not that they don't want it. The concept of making cranberry sauce never occurred to me. I know. I don't think it's occurring to anyone. I know. It's 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 um I mean so much work like even at my cousin's house that we used to go to where they would have a really big spread the first Thanksgiving you went to with me. Yeah. Um, it was like such a huge spread and then it would still be canned cranberries. Yeah. So much work goes into so many dishes and then you have canned cranberries. I know. I thought it was maybe like a working class thing or like a Southern thing or just like your family thing. But then our friends were over at Thanksgiving too. And they're originally from Pennsylvania and they, they're like, Whoa, you made cranberries. Yeah. And they called me like little miss homemaker. And I was like, yeah, all right, well, Golly. Well, you did do a great job. We had a lot of a lot of food here. It was very good. Everybody ate. Uh, we had, uh, you know. We had cookies and treats and, and Canadian our, butter our tarts. Ashley and her mom came over, and uh, it was very, very good. Yeah. And then I said a prayer for the Thanksgiving, and then I, I, I didn't want to go through everybody's name, but I went through everybody's name except my sister's boyfriend, I didn't say his name. And then immediately when the prayer's over, my dad goes, see, even he forgets about you. And I was like, jeez. Your dad's always good for a comment like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I was very happy for my sister. Uh, my sister has uh, been married already. And uh, so it's very, I'm very happy to see her with someone that seems to make her happy. Yep. She's in a small town. In a small town, there's not a lot going on, and it is not easy to meet people. I mean, uh, Tinder is uh, like a small town is the kind of place you get on Tinder and you swipe no to one person. That may be it. Yeah, you got to download the app, reinstall it, just so you can swipe yes. And then not a lot of options. Mm-hmm. So um, 
And then the next day we went out for breakfast. Yeah. The next day we went out for breakfast. We went to uh, waffle house. Uh, my, because I was like, my dad wanted to leave. Uh, you know, he wanted to go ahead and get home. My dad's got a lot going on. He's got a farm. He's got a cow. He's been, uh, feeding with a bottle and they got, my sister, I think has 13 dogs. <laughs> And uh, my dad's got about four or five dogs himself, and they got horses and cows, and they got a lot going on. So they got to get on back. And um, so I was like, we got Cracker Barrel over here, or we got Waffle House. And my dad loves the Waffle House. In fact, when I talked to him yesterday, this is news to Hannah, we ate Waffle House that morning, and then they dropped uh, my sister and her uh, boyfriend off at you know, his hometown, and they ate at Huddle House for lunch. Waffle House for breakfast, Huddle House for lunch. That's truly American. Yes. So we had Waffle House, and my dad did not make any comments about me not eating pork this time, which is a big move. And um, and then we that we wanted to get a, a, we always get a family picture, and my dad will put it on his Christmas card. So we wanted to get one, and we forgot to do it while Ashley was at the house. So we were kind of scrambling the next morning to find someone to take a picture. So we were like, I made the joke. I was like, we just make some out in front of the Waffle House. And they all laughed, and I thought, well, the, the, it would be really funny to have one in front of the Waffle House. I just think that'd be a fun, ironic Christmas card or whatever. But uh, I said, you know what, let's just drive there. And I said, I bet there's some scene, scenic stuff. Nashville's got enough scenic stuff that we could just take a picture and no one would know. And we found uh, like a few rock layers, a little rock hill outside of the Waffle House parking lot. And we just took it there. We got some guy to take it. And I think it looks great. You'd have no idea we're standing right outside of Waffle House. But if you are in the family or on my dad's Christmas card list, when you get that Christmas card, just know we were right outside of Waffle House. Yeah. And then me and Hannah went to the Chick-fil-A. Later that day. I guess we had a takeout day too, huh? Yeah, but not a, I mean, Waffle House, Huddle House is almost like Waffle House, Waffle House. I mean, it's. Absolutely. Like, so then we went out to McMinnville and went out to the cabin. We got some stuff going out there. We got out there. We're getting things really set up inside. I had a guy come along, wanted to help me build a gate so we can kind of block off the driveway from just anybody coming on up. Um, and we got out there. We stayed that night. That'd be Friday night. And then Saturday, we're going to go to my sister's house in Cleveland, Tennessee for Thanksgiving. And I woke up not feeling good. Um, I've, I've been doing really great with my diet and my digestion. And it started to feel really good. And then I had, you know, Wednesday night, we had some Mexican food. And then Thursday was Thanksgiving. And then Friday, it's Waffle House, Chick-fil-A. Now, Hannah ate all that stuff, too. Everybody else ate all that stuff. But my, I got a sensitive stomach, so it did not do well for me. It did not sit well for me. And so I went to, we went to my sister's house, and um, I was very nauseous and very uneasy all day, and I didn't eat. I just sat in the living room there, did some CBD, and um, watched football. I watched Michigan-Ohio State. I watched Alabama-Auburn. That's really all we watched because then I took off, but – it's a big day for football. I had a lot of fun with my family. It's great to see them. My nephew um, and his wife, if you've ever watched the video about me going through Colorado uh, with my nephew, that's the nephew. He's now married and has a kid, and his kid is about the same age, a little older, but about the same age as our daughter. 
So they got to play a little bit. That was fun. And um, and then I saw him out in the backyard at one point uh, smoking weed. And I felt very nauseous. So I slipped out and I said, let me take a little puff. And I took a little puff and immediately my body started to feel better. I mean, if weed is used medicinally, it is really amazing, especially for the stomach. I mean, I was in pain. I was like nauseous. I was like, I had not eaten all day. One little puff. And I started to feel better right away. My sister gave me some Ritz crackers. I started eating those. You, you did a tasteless joke at my expense. Yeah, I mean, Hannah, when we were looking around at couches and furniture and stuff, there's these couches in the in the showroom there that they'll always have. It, it looks like it's two recliners side by side, and they're attached by this like little section that holds a console, a, a console that holds cups and stuff like that. And really built for TV watching. Built for TV watching. Yeah, I mean, if you got a if you got a sports room or a movie room, it's a great couch to have. They're very popular. And I was telling them, I was like, Hannah's always making fun of those couches. And my sister's got this couch on the in the side of the room there, and then she pulls the center down <laughs> to to reveal that that's what they have. And I'm like, oh gosh, but I was all high. Uh, trying to backtrack, and I just kept making it worse. And Hannah's like all offended that I've made the joke, and I don't think anybody cared there. But no, nobody cared. But I knew your sister had that couch, and then she said Anthony and Whitney had that couch. <laughs> so, and then I had to. I mean, because you'd said so much and that I couldn't just lie and be like, "No, I never said that." And actually, I like them. So I had to just go ahead and admit. Yes, they're not to my taste, and which then, is about the snobbiest thing you can say. Well, I was just making a joke. I didn't know. I even looked at Jennifer's couch before making the joke, but I still stand by what I said. What I said was I thought that this was not a fold-down th- piece that was removable. I thought this couch was built this way, where it looked like two recliners attached to a center console, and that's what I thought. I didn't realize that you could just fold it up. Well. So I stand by it. I'm glad you were feeling better. <laughs> so I stand by it. And then and then we went back to the cabin and we stayed for a couple of nights. So we actually got to stay three nights. Daisy, it was, oh, such a wild drive back, though. It was a little rainy, dark. You know, we hit a deer not long ago, so our fog light's out. We still got both our headlights, but... Hannah drove us all the way through the through the mountains and it's like all mountain terrain. Yeah, it was a it was a wild drive back. We missed a turn because I was navigating and I fell asleep. Had to pee on the side of a road of a creepy haunted hollow. <laughs> yeah, we pulled. I mean, it was very it was totally fine, but yeah, we pulled off on a creepy back road, pitch dark. Both of us peed outside of the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Steam coming up because yeah. it was raining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then. Um, because there's not a lot of stops. I mean, especially at night, there's no open gas stations. Mm-hmm. So we got back to the cabin. We stayed for three nights. Um, one night we went out, we bought a bunch of stuff like groceries and whatnot. And then we um, were almost back to the cabin. And we decided, since we don't have internet out there, we decided to go back to Walmart and buy a TV, which TVs are ultimate cheap these days. I mean, it is like 
nothing to buy a TV. We just bought a small one, but a 32 inch, I remember saving up money working at Western Sizzling to buy myself a 32 inch TV. But we bought a 32 inch TV for the cabin and a DVD player. And I bought a couple of $5 movies and we went back to the cabin, put Daisy to bed and we laid in bed and watched the movie Face Off. <laughs> with I bought a for five dollars. I bought a three movie collection of the Nicolas Cage collection. Yeah, you did. And we watched Face Off. I've never been prouder of you. And Face Off is uh, it's great. Well, I'd seen it twenty years ago, probably when yeah, I was a kid. Me too. And, and since then it's become somewhat of a joke. I've seen jokes about it just cause it's a ridiculous premise, you know, to take your face off. Right. And, right. and then, you know, Nicholas Cage is, is such a ham. And, and so it's just became kind of, um, you know, a classic movie, but in a funny way. So revisiting it, I did not expect to really get into it. And the thing that I truly discovered was, you know, there's a lot of pain and a lot of trauma and a lot of hurt in this story. I mean, this movie is about as traumatic as it gets. I mean, the <laughs> yes. movie opens with Nicolas Cage shooting John Travolta in the back. And get, if you've not seen it, you know, get ready. Shooting John Travolta in the back, going through him. And killing his child. It's awful. That's how the movie starts. Yeah. So then you flash forward six years later. You see that you can tell that John Travolta's family's wrecked. Uh, one for that trauma. But the other trauma is that John Travolta spends every waking hour trying to track down. His name's Sean Archer. Trying to tr track down uh, Caster Troy. Hannah was not familiar with the rapper Pastor Troy. And I don't know if other people are either, but I thought that was interesting that his name was Caster Troy. But uh, so, and then John Travolta finally gets him. He gets him and kills him. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful and fixed. But then they discover there's a bomb at a location they don't know that's about to blow up L.A. So the only person that knows about that bomb is Caster Troy's brother, who's in prison. And the only person he'll talk to is his brother. So they can't tell him that his brother's dead. Well, there's a little secret program that's kept Caster Troy alive. And they've convinced Sean Archer to switch faces with him and go into the prison, talk to the brother, and then find out the information, and then they let him out. And I'll say this too, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, but the acting is so good and grounded because John Travolta and Nick Cage are great actors, right? That they're really selling it. Like you really get into it, you know, but it's it's still absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so because, you know, they go through this whole transition, face transition. And they keep Nicholas, they keep Caster Troy alive. I don't know why. I don't understand why the moment the face transition happens, they don't kill him. I don't know why he was left alive, but he is left alive. So Sean Archer, played by John Travolta, goes into prison, starts talking to Caster Troy's brother. And 
convinces, oh, he's like, oh, my brother's alive. It's amazing. And then he gets into a fight in prison. And then within minutes of this fight, the brother is like, that ain't him. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what's happened, but that ain't my brother. I think somebody took his face off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's that amazing that he knew that. Because he's like, that ain't him. He doesn't say it, but you see the look. Yep. So then John Travolta has to go, you know, nuts in prison. He has and to just, turn up the Nick Cage. Yeah, and gets really wild. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, um, Castor Troy wakes up and realizes he doesn't have a face. <laughs> <laughs> so he finds the surgeon and everybody responsible for this face transition and has them put John Travolta's face on his face. And then he kills them. He kills everybody involved, ties them up, burns them. So nobody knows that there's been a face off. Nobody knows. So John Travolta is just now the police officer who's really a villain. So now Sean Archer is trapped in prison. It's an incredible story. I take back everything I said. This is one of the most riveting stories ever created. It's long. <laughs> it is long. I mean, it keeps going. You know, it might have been the only movie of our time together that you actually didn't fall asleep. I fell asleep and you watched the whole thing. I stayed engaged. It, Yeah. I stayed engaged. That being said, we, we watched The Irishman the other day. Mm. And I mean, I thought it was good, but dang, it's three and a half hours long. I did fall asleep during that. Yeah. Um, you could take a couple naps during The Irishman. Yeah. And still catch up to what's going on with the story. But, but, but the trauma in Face Off was like, you know, John well, Travolta, who's really, you know, Nick Cage, uh, you know, he has sex with John Travolta's wife. That's yeah. rape. Castor Troy. I mean, she's traumatized now. Castor Troy, who has the face of Sean Archer, goes to Sean Archer's home and sleeps with his wife. Mm. It's awful. And then at the end of the movie, and let's just cut to the end. We don't need to go through the whole plot because it is three hours. But, and then at the end, it's just like John Travolta makes up with his wife. And it's like, y'all are going to be severely damaged from this experience oh, well this was the thing you didn't right. need to if that was my husband i'd be like look you gotta retire from and, the police and castor troy had a baby with another girl in the movie named uh, gina something she looked like a ava mendez to me um and gina never knew that sean archer and castor troy switched faces she never knew and so they have a son together. So she says to Castor Troy, take our son and raise him and don't let him be like us. But she was telling that to Sean Archer, who lost a son in the beginning of the movie. Oh so at the end of the movie, John Travolta shows up back at home. His wife's there. His daughter's there. His daughter was dressing all weird throughout the movie, being weird and goth-like. And at the end of the movie, she's really cleaned up. She's like, I've been through some drama, and now I want to look as normal as possible. And so he shows up. They're all happy. Everything's wonderful. And then he goes. And, and, and also, he's been at the hospital getting a face transition, and nobody in the family went to pick him up. He had to get a ride home or drive himself. I don't know. From the hospital, they're just sitting at home when he pulls up. Maybe that's in the director's cut. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. And he goes, once everybody's all happy that he's come home, and he's like, it's over, 
Uh, he goes, one more thing, though. And then he, he pulls his, <laughs> he goes, this little guy needs a home. And so unhealthy. And then that's and about then, the most unhealthy thing I've ever heard. And then they, the, uh, he's, he tells the daughter, take him to his new room. Oh my God. And he kind of mouths it to the mom. He goes, is this okay? And she goes, yeah, it's okay. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you are masking your pain. And you know, who's going to suffer the most? That little boy. Also, you killed that little boy's father. Yes. It's like, there's a, so much wrong with that. That's so much trauma and unhealthy coping, coping mechanism. Not and they're to trying mention, to wrap it up like it's a just a bow on the end of the story. Happy not, ending. Not to mention, you, you're, you're saying you're retiring, but you're basically taking on raising a troubled teen. Because yeah. this kid is going to be troubled. Yeah. I mean, his mom. You think he's just going to forget that gunfight? <laughs> yeah, or his mom that has been raising him for the last 10 years. Did he see his mom die in front of him? I don't yeah. remember if that, that if he did, but <sighs> so you know, in talking about face off, this is this occurred to me that I'd like to talk about this today. This morning when I woke up, I wanted to talk about this, and I thought going into face off, uh, this would be a good transition. I want to talk about mask for a second, okay? Because if you've been a listener of this podcast, you know that. Throughout COVID, I had a real issue with mask. I had a I had a button on my keypad that was called my weekly mask rant, where I talked about how masks were stupid and ineffective, and I talked about it all the time. And now, thank the Lord, masks are gone. Now people still wear them for whatever reason, but we're not told to wear them anymore. And I just think that's amazing. And it just feels good. And I hope that we never let people mask us again. I mean, it is insane. I mean, very early on, I'm not trying to go into a rant here, but very early on, the guy we listened to, Dr. Fauci, said, you should not be wearing masks. Masks can give you a sense of false security that make you feel safe and actually make things worse. And then a little while later, Everyone's wearing masks, and that same guy's like, wear two masks. The science changed. These are the two things we hear all the time. The science changed. The science is settled. <laughs> science changed. The science is settled. Trust science. Science changed. <laughs> and it's like, well, what is it? Does science change, or is it settled? Because my understanding is science is never settled. People say everything's science. Everything, oh, this is science. Oh, I love science. Science is amazing. Yeah, there's Trust a the barrel science. billboard on the side of the road that said washing your hands was science. It's right. like, I don't know. It's just like everything's science. And if you use the word science, we have to believe it because you've said it. And, and the truth is, it's like, you know, science is this moving thing where you're like studying science, you're observing science, but not everything is just science. And, and it's just... I just so annoyed by the whole thing. I mean, I, I feel very vindicated. I feel like that I was right uh, all along about masks. And now they're, they're basically halfway through it said all masks are useless except the N95 mask. And it's practically useless, but it does seem to have some effect. Um, and And now it's just all gone. We were put through all of this. I never bought into it. I didn't like it. And it was some weird experiment they were doing on us where we had to 
ride around in airplanes and be told all the time, put your mask above your nose, put your mask above your nose. And it just told by everyone to wear a mask all the time for no reason. It never made sense. There's no logic behind it. People that try to make it make sense uh, are grasping at straws. It never made sense. I'm happy it's over. I just want to acknowledge it because it just feels like things kind of went away. And now we're just right back to normal with no acknowledgement that people made us wear cloth over our faces. I mean, and I've said this before, but you're either, uh, you either believe in evolution that we evolved or you believe that God created us, right? I believe God created us. I believe God gave me two breathing holes out of my nose. If you chop off the flesh, as far as I know, in this skull, there is two holes. Those are my two breathing holes. In case one nostril's clogged, I can breathe out of the other. And then, and we're supposed to breathe out of our nose. The real breathing should be done in and out of the nose all the time. Unless you're exercising, then I think it's in through the nose, out through the mouth. But you should always be breathing in and out of the nose. And then if if your nose is stopped up or if there's an emergency, you have a third breathing hole that is your mouth. And those are never meant to be covered. You never should have those covered. Now, maybe you're cutting the grass and you don't want large grass particles to go into your lungs and and nose and mouth. That's fine. Or you're painting. You don't want large paint particles. Or you're doing surgery and you don't want particles to fall out of your mouth into a wound, into an open area uh, or or you're a dentist and you don't want your saliva falling into your patient's mouth. Um, Or you believe in evolution. You believe that we evolved from everything and you believe that over billions and millions of years, uh, we've evolved to be the way we are and this is uh, at least as we stand the perfect model for who we need to be. And so we evolved to have these three breathing holes that you also don't need to have covered. If you believe in evolution, then and you would think, oh, maybe we should have evolved mask over our face to never breathe in any kind of virus. That's just my take. Whoa, okay. I didn't know you were taking it there, the, the, the logic of evolution, but okay. Well, I'm just saying, whether you believe in creation or evolution, um... We have these breathing things on our face and they are unobstructive, unobstructed because we need them. We're supposed to be breathing. I got really frustrated with people telling me that I, that I didn't have to, oh, you can breathe just fine. People are doing it all day at work. You can breathe just fine. Well, I couldn't mm. and I'm happy it's over. Mm. I know that seemed a little bit more ranty than it needed. Well, I guess you needed to get it out. But it just, it just, it just, there's so much stuff that went on. So many ways people were treated during this whole fiasco that uh, I just feel like it never gets acknowledged. Well, Um, I think fiasco is a strong word. You know, a lot of people lost their lives. A lot of people lost loved ones. So, you know, it's, I think the reality, especially the first year, year and a half, it it was, wild and chaotic and a lot of people needed false security. And I think some people, you know, it's like logic is just something people say we have. And, and I just don't think humans are logical. I think most people are emotional creatures and, um, and they, and they make decisions based on that. And that's never really based in logic. And well, I will agree that it was wild and chaotic. Um, but you know, what I'm saying is from the very get go, 
we were let known that the masks were ineffective. And yet we were still told to hang on to them. Well, because, you know, there wasn't a lot of, I just, like, I'm just kind of being like the other voice of, of the thinking behind it, because, you know, it's, it's helpful to try to think, well, why did so many people want to wear masks? Why was it embraced in some areas and not others in some countries, frankly? And I think, um, some people needed that comfort. They needed to think yeah, if I, I mean, if I have to go outside, you know, there's many people that didn't even start going outside until recently. You know, they were scared well, listen, and they were scared I'm, for years. I'm not arguing with that. And I'm not, you know, and I, I and I lost people too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not arguing any of that. My point is the mask was useless. We were told that it was useless and it was useless all along. And if you want to wear it, if you want to continue to wear it, that's your business. If you wanted to wear it, as far as I was concerned, the whole time, if you want to wear it, that's your business. Right. I'm not going to harass you about it, but don't make me do it. Right. I don't want to do it. I don't believe the way you believe. Don't make me believe the way you believe. So. All righty. That's where I'm at. I'm, I feel you. And, and I hear you and I see you. And I just am happy that it's over. Yeah. And I wanted to say it. Yeah. I didn't mean to bring that in right after our fun face-off. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean. To, I, I think it's in some ways how I feel about Spectracide sometimes. Is I, uh, I want to talk about it lighthearted and fun, and when I get into it, I get irritated by mm-hmm. it. But uh, we watched another movie that we wanted to talk about um, that we both watched in our childhoods. You had watched it before, right? Yeah, but so long ago that I don't even remember my first watch. Well, I remember it vividly. I remember when I was a kid, I got to go to Disney World in Orlando with my uncle, uh, my aunt, and my cousin. And they had uh, different exhibits for this movie. Mm -hmm. And I got to see, and I got to play on them, and I got to really experience it. This movie was really a big part of my childhood, and that movie is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick Moranis is really the only notable actor out of that whole thing. Um, I looked up people. I don't really see any of them doing anything else. The oldest kid um, was in the movie Digstown, which is a boxing movie with uh, James Woods and Lou Gossett Jr., Mm. Great movie. Yeah. Obscure Uh, reference. Yeah. But um, so that was the only person I'd seen in anything else. But also a movie very traumatic. Yes. For these kids. Yeah. The thing is, though, when you got Rick Moranis, who else do you need? Well, that's true. That is true. But, you know, I'm sure you've seen it. But the kids get shrunk down. The guy doesn't even know his machine works. (laughs) It's a delightful film, and you know what? It is about two seconds long. Yeah, it wasn't a long movie. It (laughs) It was less than an hour and a half. Yeah. So the kids get shrunk down, they get swept into the trash can, they get taken out by the road. So then they escape the trash can, and then they got to make it back to to the house. Yes. And now they're the size of an ant, smaller than an ant, and the front lawn is like a jungle. They, they have encounters with birds, bees, flowers, an ant. I mean, they take a ride on a bee around the yard that, you know, is terrifying. Yeah. It's a great idea for, for a movie, especially a Disney movie. I mean, whoever 
came up with that idea and wrote that script. I mean, that's just what I'm talking about. That's the kind of fun film that made me who I am today. That's it's, the kind it's of 90s films. It's the kind of fun films we need now. Yeah. No propaganda in there. No preaching to us about anything. They weren't like... Oh, the kids are out in the yard and there's climate change. Yeah, the, just, the, the, the girl in the movie, the little girl in the movie, I mean, she was strong and tough, but the film wasn't always telling me she's strong and tough. Right, right, yeah. She's just out here being a girl. She was a real leader, but they weren't like, the reason they made it home was because of this woman. Yeah, and then she didn't have to stick up for herself to some guy and and then be like, this is, this is what women, like, it's just... Yeah. We're just being people out here. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really great, and uh, there was a Lego out there in the thing that they yeah. slept in one night. A scorpion attacked them. Yeah. But they did make it home, and they did get blown back up. And, you know, I'd like to see the follow-up. What kind of metabolic reaction or, you know, life after getting shrunk you know, there was a you sequel because that can't be easy on a body. No, I can't imagine it is. You know, there was a movie called Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, okay. which was the sequel yeah. that I never saw. Mm. It'd be interesting to watch the sequel just to see, you know, how the kids are doing. What are you doing tonight, baby? I mean, maybe we'll get into it. <laughs> and you know what we started watching last night? We only got about halfway through. And I remember watching this, but Anchorman 2. Hannah was like, I don't think I've ever seen Anchorman 2. Let's watch that. And I was like, well, I don't think it was very good. I remember watching it. But I was watching it last night. I know, it's hilarious. It was funny, but I almost am hesitant to say that because I feel like for a Judd Apatow film, especially as, you know, outspoken as he is nowadays, post Me Too, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of like sexist, seemingly racial humor, like. Well, yeah, it's totally politically incorrect. But I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's like, that's the kind of humor that everyone loved. Everyone thought was funny. It was yeah. really great. But now the same people that made those movies are now preaching at us yeah. about not doing that. And it's like, you're the one that taught us these jokes. Yeah, it's, it was truly bizarre watching it, knowing that, like, you know, he's, you know, quite a soapbox guy now up on his soapbox. And I'm like, look at the movie you made. I mean, like, yeah, goodness gracious. So, but, but, you know, it really is Will Ferrell. I mean, I think Will Ferrell's done now. I haven't seen him do anything. Nothing that he seems to do anymore is funny, but I mean, there was a moment. There's a long moment in time where yeah. he's amazing. Where Will Ferrell was just unstoppable. He's amazing. Yeah. I love him. I love a lot of Judd Apatow movies too. I forget how much I enjoyed their humor and Adam McKay. Yeah. We've been watching a lot of movies, you know, we have been, Danny I feel McBride, like, yeah, Danny McBride land of the lost is a movie that is, uh, People don't talk about, but that's Danny McBride and Will Ferrell. I've not seen anything with Danny McBride outside of what's the show that we love? Eastbound and Down. Yeah, that I that I just felt like captured what he did for me with that show because I loved that show. But I don't know if I'd still love that show. It might be too vulgar for me now. Yeah, it's a bit vulgar. I mean, that's how I feel about Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my favorite shows, but it is so yeah over the top. Yeah, I'm just getting older and more Christian, I guess. Yeah, I think so too. All right, speaking of that, I got I have gotten some emails. Um 
I want to see if, um, okay, I want to see if um, any of these, oh, here's one. Um, okay, he said, I have been convicted about the two most prominent topics you discuss, pork and holidays. Uh, I've sworn off pork and by extension shellfish, not that I've ever tried it before this, I guess he's saying he didn't eat shellfish anyway. And I am no longer going to participate in pagan holidays. I am aware that Thanksgiving is not pagan, but I still have chosen to refrain from it. Before this Thanksgiving, I had a moment in prayer, laying down outside, looking up at the sky. I was unsure how to handle it, but it occurred to me that I should fast on Thanksgiving instead of gorging myself like I see everyone else do. Not sure if it was from God or not, but either way, I fasted. It was the easiest fast I've ever done. I want to say I read this right after I was sick, after eating so much on Thanksgiving. And I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do going forward with Thanksgiving. But this this email impacted me in a way. Anyway, my question is if you have advice for how I should avoid Christmas. I am heavily convicted not to participate, but I will not compromise on it. My dad has told me he already bought several presents for me, and my sister loves to give me gifts and not take it away from her. Uh, She told me she'll still give them to me, but she'll say it's a Sunday gift instead. That feels like cheating to me, and God would see through that. Uh, I will spend time with my family, but I think I will fast every holiday now. How was it for you on your first time not celebrating Christmas? I will have to do more research on when and how to celebrate feast. My therapist said Amazon has easy kits you can buy for the feast, so I could try that. Uh, I'll say this. um, You know, I told my family that I don't celebrate it anymore either. And my mom will still buy me gifts. Uh, My sister, will, who doesn't celebrate it, will buy gifts and wrap them in Hanukkah paper. And, uh, you know, because this is what I think, right? It's like, Everybody gets time off for Christmas, right? So it's still a great time to spend with family. Um, If people, especially as you get older, my old boss, Stu Barber, told me this. He said, you know, as you get older, your parents will want to buy you things. And he said, just let them buy you those things because that's how they get to do something for you. Now, if you're like just some, you know, don't be taking advantage of your parents, you know. I don't think that's what Stu meant, but it's like, your parents will buy you things as a way to be like, you know, uh, I'm still looking after my kid. And, you know, so let them buy you the gifts. I don't think it's wrong to, you can tell your family members, you can say, hey, I'm not participating, so I won't be buying you gifts. But if, if you know, if you want to buy them for me, I'm not going to turn them down. You don't have to. I'm not asking for them. So, I mean, you can't control what other people do if they want to buy you something. But I would say don't slip them hence, be like, well, if you're going to buy me something, buy me this, you know, um, for me, it was very easy. I mean, I've lived away from home for so long. My parents are divorced. It's not like it's some big family gathering. I mean, certain segments of my family will get together for Christmas, but over the years, my family's been fairly divided. So everybody's doing their own little thing. So when I'm, I'm gathering with them, um, uh, typically, um, 
you know, it, I don't know. It's not, it's not like some big family thing lost on my part. Now, when my grandparents were alive, like my grandmother, we used to do a thing with her. It would be weird to say I don't celebrate. So I understand that, you know, she's got to pray about it, figure out how to handle it best. There's no reason to upset everybody else. If they still want to do it, they still want to do it. And they still want you uh, to be with them. Just, I think also like, you know, accepting gifts from anyone is, you know, is gracious to accept, you know, because it's not just family that will give you things, you know, work, coworkers, um, neighbors, friends, you know, and it's personally very hard for me to exculp that tradition from me during the uh, Christmas holidays, my birthday's two days before Christmas. And I also feel like it's the end of the year and, um, I like giving gifts. I like saying thank you to people. I like giving gifts to people. And I find the end of the year is a good time for that. I never send a, a Christmas card, but I do say like, happy new year. Thank you for everything you, you do for us and for who you are. And so, you know, I still do that. And, and I suppose Dusty and I are maybe are at different places with that, but. Well, I don't, I'm not against that. I mean, even though I don't really believe that this is the biblical year, I, I, I've said this before, I believe that the biblical new year probably begins in April, um, but it's the end of the year for everyone else. For the for the you know, for, well, it's the end of our calendar year, right? For for uh, yeah, so it's like I, I I'm okay with it, but to show um, gratitude for things for people have done for us, and um, and I appreciate this email. Um, and he said, uh, still waiting for you to read my email on the podcast. So there it is. I'm doing it. I did it. Oh, there was another email I got. I'm not ready to talk about that one. You remember that one that I showed you? Mm -mm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. But I don't even know why you'd bring it up like that just to not share it. Well, I like doing that. Mm. Um, I think you should share it. I think it's hilarious. And I also don't think that that particular family member listens to your podcast. Um, and maybe you could even not name that particular family member by name. Oh, here's someone that said, uh, um, a lot of people thank me for sharing what I share and then like to say that they don't agree with everything that I'm saying. <laughs> and I do appreciate it though. It says, uh, I want to thank you again for sharing your faith on the podcast. I may not agree with everything you say, but I certainly enjoy being challenged to think about what I believe. I think that is a lost art in Christian circles. It's good to be challenged because it forces you to think and ultimately sends you back to God's word. Well, absolutely. That's why we're in this place of complacency. And that's why Christianity is losing in America. We're losing because we don't challenge each other. We all our preachers basically preach the same thing. There may be some variances, but they all basically preach the same thing. And we never challenge them. We think, oh, you got a seminary degree. Ooh, I cannot challenge you. And it's like, well, if you read it in the Bible, you know, I believe God put it there for us to read. So, um, you know, there's some things that may think take some deeper thinking, some meditation. But for the most part, I think it's straightforward. And this person says, lastly, you mentioned the coughing thing. And I definitely struggle with that or sneezing. You're going to like this, Hannah. Uh, sniffling and all that goes with it. But I wonder if you've ever struggled with chewing noises. Oh, my God. Uh, this is a huge distraction and irritation for me. I feel like a jerk. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, if I hear crunching or loud noises, 
associated with eating, it almost drives me insane. My wife is a cruncher, and I try a so cruncher. hard. You mean she eats around you? My wife is a cruncher, and I try so hard, but sometimes a I can't cruncher. take it. What, what are your thoughts on this, Hannah? I mean, I'm sorry that your wife has to deal with your just ridiculous ADD is what it is. Um, Dusty, to the, the whole time I've lived with him, I don't think I've ever been allowed to eat chips around him. Ever. In fact, anytime I dare to do it, I have to ask his permission. Can I eat these chips around you? Is it okay if I have a couple crackers right now? <laughs> because if I start crunching around this man, he, I mean, he'll lose his mind. He'll lose his dang mind. It's not that extreme. Oh, but if Lord. I am like already stressed or I'm trying to do something, and Hannah comes me around me crunching, <laughs> I can't handle it. She's right about it. I can't you handle can't it. You can't handle it. All right, here's one more. Uh, uh, I know you get a lot of questions and verses about pork and dietary laws. I'm sure you've been sent all of them, including Jesus's words in Mark 7. I'm sure I have. I didn't look up Mark 7, but I'm sure Mark 7 has something to do with, therefore, Jesus declared all foods clean. Um, uh, I don't have a problem with personal conviction, but I'm wondering if you have the same conviction about circumcision or requiring the life of a neighbor whose animals got out and ran over your wife. Um, well, I didn't read those exactly, but conviction about circumcision, I think they did, uh, sp uh specifically address circumcision, uh, later in the new Testament saying that now because of Jesus, what's required is circumcision of the heart. Um, so I feel like if something is specifically addressed, um, then it, it, it does undo. But my problem with Jesus, people saying that Jesus declared all foods clean is that, you know, Jesus would have been talking to Jewish people, uh, in that setting where he said that he'd be talking to Jewish people, Jewish people who did not eat pork, therefore did not. Uh, did not consider pork to be food. So if Jesus says before them, therefore all foods are clean, the Jews there are not going to go, oh, great, let's fry up a pig, you know? Um, and then when you get to the verse that I did last week where I talk about Peter on the rooftop, had Jesus declared pork to be clean, uh, he would have done so in a room. Probably Peter was there. Peter would have known. At least some of the other disciples would have said, did you hear that Jesus said we can eat unclean foods? Did you hear this? And then when he sat on the rooftop and, G and God sent him down a sheet with a bunch of unclean animals on it, Peter would have not said, not so, Lord. Peter would have been like, thank you, Lord. I'm so hungry. So, I just don't think, and then the, it says requiring the life of a neighbor whose animal got out and ran over your wife. I don't know. I'd have to read that again specifically, but I mean, does the animal kill your wife? I mean, what are we talking about here? Um, you know, so I don't know. I'd, I, I, it, when you send things like this, just go ahead and send the verse so I can look at it. Um, because it's unclear requiring the life of a neighbor whose animal got out and ran over your wife. Would that mean if, if your animal, like if I had a horse and it got out and killed your wife, 
would I then need to be killed? I don't know that I've read that, but I am open to you sending me that verse. You reading the message, dude, or what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's like there is a lot of laws in the Old Testament, and that very well could be one. But it's like, you know, it says run over your wife. Does it mean kill your wife? Um, you definitely should be punished. for If your animal gets out and kills my wife, I would like you to be punished. Yeah, how would you feel? <laughs> yeah. How would you feel if your neighbor's dog right. mauls your wife? Exactly. Right. If I have a, you know, let's not, let's not even make it controversial. Let's say I have a German shepherd at my house and that German shepherd gets out, mauls your wife and kills her. Should I be punished? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah. All right. So also the last one, if I'm not mistaken, you are not a member or even attend a local church. We are instructed to do so. Why no pork, but neglect church? Just curious. Please don't be offended by my questions. We're having a good time. I'm definitely not offended, uh, but I will, you know, I'm, I'm into these. I like this. I like that you sent these, but I have not read a verse that says we're instructed to attend church. And then also, if, if it does say that, I would, I would wonder what they mean by church. You know, do they mean gathering with two to three more people? As it, as it says, uh, it says, if you're gathered with two or more people, in my name, I am with you. Is that considered church? Um, you know, because I do meet with friends and I do talk about it. I don't do it on a regular basis. Um, but my answer uh, overall would be that I've not found a church that believes like I do. And, you know, they're believers, uh, but they don't believe like I do. I, I, I'd like a church that meets on Saturday and also hard for me to attend because I'm always on the road. Uh, I got a million excuses, but mainly it's that um, I've not found a church that necessarily believes like I believe, and and I don't mean small things. I mean big things like dietary laws and holidays and 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 you know different things like that that mean something to me. Um, so it's hard for me to just meet with a group of people that believes differently than me, um, and not not just I don't mind meeting with people, but I mean becoming a member of this church knowing that the message they're preaching is not one that I um, agree with. So that'd be my answer. Mm -hmm. But I would love to be a member of a church. I really would love to find a church that celebrated uh, the biblical feast that I could meet with and have a Sukkot and uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. We could go out into the woods for seven days and set up tents and have parties and have feasts and eat food and sing together. That'd be amazing. And I do, you know, wish we, we could go to church. You know, I'm a part of um, a Bible study that I go to every Wednesday. I mean, that's not the same as you, Dusty, being a part of a Bible study, but we've together been a part of many Bible studies and, um, you know, we have fellowship often, I would say. So we are, you know, our lifestyle, you know, due to Dusty's job doesn't allow us to have like a regular weekend. Yeah. Dusty works on weekends. So how is he going to go to church when he's not home on Sunday morning? Right. And, but even if I, you know, and I have not been home every Sunday for years, so it's like really hard. And it used to be I would be booked through Sunday. And I actually thought about trying to go and attend church when I'm in different towns 
um, on Sunday. And these are, you know, excuses as I'm, as I'm hearing them, because I do like church and I have been a part of a church recently. I got baptized last summer at the church we were attending and they were great there and we enjoyed them. But, you know, as many churches as there are in the Nashville area and as many, you know, truly, you know, big business churches as there are in high production value and, it, they no, nobody really does believe like us and have um, services that uh, that we feel comfortable with, you know. So really, that's it. Why would you go to a church if you're either hiding how you truly believe or holding back in discussions because people are going to say, "Well, we don't believe like that. You don't have to. It's grace. So the law is done with." Like, you know, we're not. I'm personally not trying to argue with people about this all the time. Though I do go to a Baptist fellowship because. You know, it's it's not so far away from what we believe. They still believe in Jesus, and and that is still how we believe in general. You know, but I just keep what we believe kind of to myself, and it's it's kind of annoying. You know, it's it's annoying to have to do that. So inevitably, you just I just don't even want to well, the continue risk, on the relationship if I can't be myself and how I have faith. And the risk oftentimes is offending Christians, uh, non-religious yeah. people for the most part. They don't Absolutely. care. Non-religious people, they don't care what I believe, yeah. uh, you know, for the most part. They don't care. Uh, but other Christian people will be offended by what I believe. Um, so it is hard to talk about it at church. I love talking about it on the podcast. I loved, I talk about my beliefs more with comics, uh, uh, than, I mean, I've talked about this with comics of all religions. I love talking about this stuff. Um, but it's hardest with Christians because the moment I talk about what, what I believe, uh, you know, especially Christians right now, right? Like I, I grew up Catholic, you know, which is very set in its ways. It's not really changed a lot. I don't think. Um, but I feel the, 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 the feeling I get about the South and the Bible belt is that people who grew up, you know, whatever, like your dad's age and, and forward, you know, church was very strict and very orthodox and, you know, hellfire and brimstone. And then I think what happened in the last maybe 20 or so years is there's this been this kind of wave of grace, like this whole grace thing has really kind of taken over and freed everybody. And, and, and that's kind of the vibe that I get from a lot of my Christian friends who are basically Baptists or non-denominational. And, and of course and they, and we they believe love grace. in grace. Yes, we believe in grace, but I feel like because grace has been such a watershed for people that grew up with parents or grandparents that were so strict that any mention of law is very triggering to Christians. They're saying, no, it's all about grace. Well, I, we can kind of do whatever we want. God forgives us. Everything's fine. You know, you don't have to do anything for this grace. It's here. And I think that the concept of law is very triggering to, to people that, that grew up in, in stricter kind of church environments and they just reject it on, on face value for that reason. Yeah. And the reason that I, you know, I like to talk about pork the most, uh, but I just find it to be very fun. Um, and I think mainly I like talking about it was because I was such a pork lover. I mean, my goodness, did I love pork. I talked about it all the time. Chuck's Barbecue and Opelika. I know I've mentioned that before. They used to be Papa Joe's Barbecue and Chuck's Barbecue. And I would go to each one of those at least once a week. There was one point where I was going to Papa Joe's Barbecue every day. I would get up in the morning and I would go down there and I would get a, I think it was a Big Joe 
uh, I forget what it was called. It's years ago. Um, and with, with fries and I would eat that every day, big Joe spicy. And then I would go to Chuck's Chuck's had buy one, get one free, uh, chop, uh, chip sandwiches on Saturday. I would eat. Well, I remember one time I ate four of them. Mm. I mean, it's like, that's I, gluttony. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. So that's why I like talking about it. All right. So that was fun. I enjoyed this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We're having a good time. Thank you.